Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast. I'm your uh, lovely host, Tim, and your not-so-lovely host, Mike. We are glad that you are here today. Thanks for tuning in. Um, and uh, and we're doing, we've got big news. Let me just say that. We're doing well, but we got big news. Uh, Team Erie has an addition that has made... Um, an impression on our family, but also on the internet. Uh, Team Erie got a puppy, which I swore I would never do in the history of, I, I literally, I remember telling my sweet wife, we can have kids or pets. You can pick. I'm good with either. And then 17 years in. <laughs> 17 years. Uh, no, uh, we picked up Arlo. Arlo evidently is something called a Cavapoo, which, which is long for Ewok. Yes. Oh my goodness. He's just a furry little Ewok about the size of my shoe. And, uh, we got him for Hannah and Hannah is just heads over heels, you know, for Arlo. Um, but Arlo is a, is a 16 week old puppy and we're learning what that means. Yeah. Uh, and we've also learned something about our social media accounts this week because I posted a picture of Arlo and Tim, what did, what did you say? What, what happened? The, it's just the we you posted the picture of Arlo the day after or or the same day that we released this week's podcast episode, which we also post on social media, and Arlo destroyed <laughs> the podcast episode. People were far more interested in the puppy than uh, yeah, which um, I think there's probably a lesson there. Yeah, so we're gonna pivot the podcast more big towards, uh puppy talk. Because uh, uh, I'm already learning some stuff. They have to take something called deworming, which oh, I remember. I mean, that, that sounds period. that sounds horrific. Yeah, um, but not as horrific as just worming. <laughs> and and I'm not gonna lie, I tried some, uh, just on the off chance, <laughs> you know, that maybe maybe there's something going on um, in the digestive system that I didn't know about. But anyway, so welcome to uh, Puppy Pod. Our new yes, podcast. Yes, yes. And the the incredible, never-ending amount of ancillary products for your dog. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is, I'm just, the hemorrhaging, we're hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging cash flow. I, we, don't even, we don't even have a dog, but when I go to Target and I see all the dog costumes, I'm always tempted to buy one. I don't know what just, it is. Yeah. Just, uh, it's, as my children would say, totes adorbs. Totes adorbs. Yep, I stand Arlo. Sus. I stand Arlo. That's all I want to say. <laughs> um, and we did get, by the way, lots of corrections about where Stan comes from. We did. Um, it was, and so uh, that was very, very helpful. That was very, very helpful that we have some pop culture um, savants in the audience. Yes. Uh, before we dive in today, I want to thank Sean and uh, Deanne and Brandon and Claire for joining our Patreon team. And uh, the podcast is free, making them is not. And we are very, very grateful that we have <laughs> that we have almost 200 people that um, support us at varying levels on Patreon. And then there is another platform we use called Tithely. Patreon is more if you're interested in, in some rewards or some tiered, you know, repeated giving. Tithely, you can do repeated giving too, but it's also... Um, kind of better for one-time gifts. And uh, all, everything you do is tax deductible because we are a 501c3. And I cannot tell you what an encouragement it is that so many of you have and are uh, deciding to play a part. It's a big deal and we're very, very grateful. Uh, thanks to Noah too, who increased, I, I feel like we're an NPR program right now. Thank you, thank you to Noah who increased his pledge. You have to it's, like bring the tone down though and get real oh, close yeah. to the microphone. Yeah, Welcome thanks. to Puppy Pod. Thank you, thank you. Noah, for thank increasing you, Noah, your... for increasing your pledge. <laughs> uh, if you want to find out more, you can go to patreon.com, type in Vox Podcast with Mike Erie, and uh, there you are. All of our levels are named after Pearl Jam songs, just in case you're wondering. Um, today, not shockingly, we're going to spend a little time in the Sermon on the Mount. What? Uh, yep. I'm gonna. What I want to do, Tim and Tim and our friend Kevin recommended this that we would do a bit of review, because um, this sucker, 
I mean, can you imagine trying to absorb this in one afternoon? <laughs> no. And maybe, you know, maybe he taught it over the course of several days, but still, it's absolutely crazy. And so, just as a reminder, what Jesus starts doing in Matthew chapter 4 is he begins to preach that the kingdom of God has come close. It's near now. It's and and for the Jews of the day, the kingdom of God was a political reality. It was not going to heaven when you die. It was a not not a nice set of doctrinal beliefs or a cute set of moral uh, convictions. This was this was the story that that was left hanging in the Old Testament. When will God become king over His people Israel and over His world? When Jesus shows up and announces the kingdom and and proclaims that both in his teaching and in his ministry, he will will embody the kingdom, that was a hugely divisive message. Um, And, you know, not surprisingly, the religious leaders were the most threatened by it. Um, The political rulers uh, towards the end of Jesus's ministry were the most threatened by it. But to the common folk, to the folks identified... Um, at the beginning of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, um, as Jesus gazes upon, you know, the demon possessed and the sick and the tradespeople and the underprivileged, um, and he announces that, that his kingdom is made up of such as these, the merciful and the poor in spirit and the, the mourning and the, uh, um, the mer- uh, peacemakers is what I was looking for. Um, so, so that he then says that community in its weakness becomes salt and light. It's not uh, an advanced guard of triumphalism. It's not an advanced guard of awesomeness. It is in its weakness. Um, God is, uh, is made great. And, um, and so in such people, uh, the kingdom is trustworthy. Because they, you know, we realize that, and because we realize, I mean, the last thing when you get the poor in spirit together, they're going to want to do is run the world, right? Mm. They're just not, no one's going to sign up for that on the poor in spirit, you know, anonymous website. I mean, that's just not how it's going to work. <laughs> so what Jesus begins to do is he begins to unfold the, the reality of the political entity called the kingdom of God. Now, the reason the kingdom of God is political is that, that classically defined, Politics has to do with the administration of a polis, and a polis is simply a community of people gathered together. So, uh, and, and you could say it this way, I mean, politics is just the art of helping people get along together. Hmm. That's all it is. How do we handle wealth? How do we handle marriage? How do we handle, handle sickness? How do we handle tribal violations? I mean, all of that. And so there are, uh, you know, the church is political in that sense. The family, the unit, is political in that sense. Yeah. Um, but very, very specifically, the message of Jesus is political. That Jesus, as he begins to outline what his agenda is, it's not um, to form a people who are very, very concerned about what happens when we die, but it was those people who were ready to welcome the reign of heaven into their midst to the point where they would rearrange their social relationships to be a part of it. Hmm. And so Jesus begins by rearranging social relationships where the light commands would say, Hey, anger. Yeah. I mean, don't hate your, your fellow Israelite. Yes. Uh, but that's not as heavy as the command to, uh, not murder. And Jesus is like, Whoa, 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 Whoa how it works in my kingdom. I've not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. And in fact, um, I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, by any means disappear from the law. So Jesus is outlining his kingdom as a fully um, um, orthodox Jewish rabbi would he's Mm. he's there showing and deepening and extending torah all right then he says um and he gets into the i tell you if uh anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And here, as we've said, he's talking about light and heavy commands. There were 613. They were not all equally weighted. Um, obviously, they would come into conflict. And so if if working on the set, not working on the Sabbath conflicted with saving a life, which one wins? I mean, so the, the rabbis did the hard work of ordering and debating um, how these all fit together. But there was, in the midst of that, a getting around the heart of the Torah, the heart of the righteousness of the kingdom, um, by playing the, well, at least I'm not doing X game while you were doing Y, right? And so Jesus goes after, and Jesus is embodying this greater righteousness he's calling for, by, by saying, listen, it's not just murder that we're, we're talking about. It's anger and contempt. That's, yeah. That is what the kingdom is interested in. It's not just, you've not fulfilled the law to your neighbor by loving your neighbor by simply not murdering them. <laughs> that doesn't, you've not fulfilled bar. that command by simply letting <laughs> them live, right? Look um, at me, you, folks. Look at me go. Yeah. Do you see my neighbor's dead? I haven't murdered dead? anybody no. yet, so I'm doing great. And certainly we would agree that's a good start. Um, yeah. But that's that was not that was not the mighty righteousness of which the Old Testament prophets spoke. Not to downplay not murdering your neighbors. Yes, let's but. keep that going. Um, but <laughs> but let's also deal with this deeper issue, right? And so he does that with anger and contempt, right? The light and the heavy commands. He's like, listen. Uh, that distinction just doesn't hold when you look at the mighty righteousness of God's law, right? Because where does murder start? Murder starts in the heart. Um, you know, he uh, he redefines adultery away from it being one-sided and tilted against women to now it being an issue of the heart as well, right? That adultery now, what had to do was tied um, in the light and heavy sense to now it was tied to the heavy command of against coveting. Yeah. And that whereas before, the the rules of adultery were very much stacked against women, that Jewish men had permissions, Jewish women did not have. Now, Jesus, Jesus gives us such a high ethic in order to say that the kingdom is now safe for women, mm-hmm. um, for, to not be sexualized, to not be objectified. Um, even if the men are not physically committing adultery. Again, it's that same game. Hey, I'm loving my neighbor. I haven't committed adultery, right? Oh, well, that's a great start, but let's work on where that comes from. He then he then connects adultery to uh, a Jewish debate on divorce. And he, again, he redefines adultery in a way that protects Jewish women. Um, and this, he says was always the heart of God, right? So that divorce thing, I think that's super important. Um, and, and it's one of the best examples of Jesus entering into a Jewish debate. And us, when we neglect that background, just ripping that verse straight out of the text and applying it, we can do a great deal of damage with it, right? Jesus is very much proclaiming the righteousness. Because remember, he says, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so what he's going to do in the rest of chapter five, what we've been studying for several weeks has been to show how the kingdom righteousness is deeper and wider and truer and more beautiful than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Right. And he's doing that using this light and heavy distinction. Um, So here he steps into this debate about divorce. Um, He steps into the debate um, around oath telling uh, oath, uh, making and truth telling, right? And how far, you know, if you didn't use God's name, could you swear an oath? Um, and he's like, no, in my kingdom, righteousness simply demands that we not manipulate each other with religious language. Yeah. It's not about the oath taking, it's not about swearing mm-hmm. um, or profanity as we would understand it. It's about attaching right. the name of God in order to manipulate other people, right? Hello, relevance. <laughs> And then Jesus goes after the preeminent law governing all social affairs then and now, and that is the law of reciprocity, right? You do, I do to you whatever you've done to me. And he yeah. goes after it negatively by, by saying, listen, under the law, retaliation was limited to injury for injury. But right. I'm telling you that was not the heart of God. The heart of God is that you wouldn't retaliate at all. 
And instead of not doing nothing, that you would respond in creative ways to protect your honor and call into question the, the honor of your persecutor. Yeah. Right. And so the turning of the cheeks and the offering of the cloak, uh, all of those were just very, very creative ways of, of dealing with evil. Yeah. And then he deals with the positive part, right? Because the negative part of reciprocity is I get to harm those who harm me. The positive part of reciprocity is, well, I get to love those who love me. And Jesus is now going to say, and, it, and it's framed around who my neighbor is, right? right? That was the Jewish debate around neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Does this, is, is a Samaritan my neighbor? Is a Roman soldier my neighbor? Um, is an unclean Israelite my neighbor? And Jesus expands neighbor to include every single person on the planet, right? Not just your fellow country people. Not your peeps. Yep, not just your peeps. And what you're to do to those um, who you would consider enemies is you were to show them agape, right? Which is self-suffering, self-sacrificial love. And and so... um, and, And he describes, he ultimately says, and this is the perfection that is demonstrated by the Father that you're invited into, that the rain is showered on the just and the unjust, Um, and that even tax collectors love those who love them. There's nothing special about that. You are to be like your Father, not like the tax collectors. You know, that's the idea. So that whole section is flowing out of chapter 5, verse 20, which is your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. So he's presenting a positive view of righteousness, but he's also undercutting the way the scribes and Pharisees interpreted Torah. Now, when you get to chapter 6, we're just going to read the first verse together. And the guest reader today is me, (laughs) the voice of an angel. All right, let me find it. Where is it? I don't know. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, Chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your what, Timothy? Righteousness. Yeah, now where did that word come from? Hmm. How about (laughs) chapter (laughs) 5, verse 20? Your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. So he's just given us the rest of the chapter on one critique of the Pharisees and their understanding of righteousness. Now he's introducing critique number two. All right? Critique number two is, do not be careful to not practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward in heaven. Now, when we talked about righteousness before, Hmm. uh, several episodes ago, righteousness... Um, in the Old Testament was this incredibly huge um, concept. Zedekah. That's right. <laughs> um, and, and it included loving kindness and justice and mercy. But it had been reduced a bit by the Pharisees um, to three acts of piety. And the most, the most important one was almsgiving. So there were three acts of piety that constituted for the Pharisees righteousness, right? That was prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Almsgiving is giving to the poor. And what Jesus is now going to do is he's going to lay down, be careful, do not, do not practice your righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them. And then he's going to give three examples. And those three examples are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. (laughs) <laughs> and it's awesome. I mean, he's, it's just so, you you could not have missed how Jesus was undercutting the Pharisaic program. Yeah. And it's no wonder these were some of his most vociferous opponents, right? Yeah. yeah he's right. not, because he told us in chapter 5, let people see your good deeds, that they may give glory to the Father in heaven. Yeah. Now he's saying... But if you do your good deeds in order to be seen by people and for that reason only, then you have your reward. You, their approval is your reward. If uh, of yeah. all you're doing is this to be seen, and my goodness, we're going to spend uh, in a couple of episodes a whole uh, episode on grandstanding. Because this 
in our in our image social media age, this is all we do, <laughs> right? I, does it count as justice unless I've taken a picture? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's at this this Jesus here goes after <laughs> goes after a virtue signaling and making you know just having to be seen to have the right opinion, even if I don't really have it. Yeah. Um, Hashtag oh, culture. Yes, he is. He is. It, it's just it's devastating to all of us. But for those of us who are more sort of classically religious. I mean, we were taught you have a quiet time, you go to church, you share your faith, you give 10%. And so we were given lists of piety too. Yeah. And it was important in some instances that you be seen being pious. And so this isn't just for hashtag culture, this is for church culture too. But it began with Pharisee culture. And so Jesus is going to go after the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and simply say, if it's the approval of people you're looking for, then the approval of people you shall get, but you have missed the father in the process. Yeah. So we're going to get into some really good stuff because in the midst of this, he gives us the Lord's prayer um, and he critiques the praying of the hypocrites and gives us this prayer to pray. So we're going to spend some time on that too. So like, that's what he's up to. So then, so for, I don't know, 20 or so verses of chapter six, he's going to go after prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and then he's going to talk about money. Now, this is still an extension of the deeper righteousness, but he's going yeah. to connect it to worry, which, oh my Lord, there, there it is. So we, I mean, he's not letting up on us. I would say we have at least uh 10 eight or 10 podcasts more to go on this um and and remember the our whole slant on this was to talk about the political implications yeah right we're not we're we're not interested in the partisan implications right because partisanship has to do with how you vote the the politics of the kingdom has to do with how you live yeah. that includes how you vote one moment every four years but it's so much bigger than just how you vote. Yeah. And that's the vision we're trying to recapture, right? The the ordering of God's people as they are together under the reign of Jesus, that's political. Yeah. And how the church, how that collection of people then interacts with the greater polis, that's political. But our emphasis when we talk about politics is just on Republican or Democrat or, or neither. And because of that, we miss the father in the process, right? Because the kingdom cannot be equated with a nation state or with a particular political agenda. It's just the mighty Zedekah of God cannot be captured by any platform of human political persuasion. We're going to have to make that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we dive in to um, the, this next section of the sermon, we thought there was a question that came in uh, that we wanted to talk about and kind of use to get into some other news besides Arlo that uh, we want to talk about today. So, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Stafford, um, questions come to us through our email, hello at Vox Podcast. Um, uh, Facebook, you can like us on Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And, um, uh, and we try to keep track. There are so many things that come in. I have a long, long list of things that several years old of different topics. So we'll never run out of material. Um, <laughs> but it, but sometimes every now and again, something will hit and it's really relevant. And so anyway, uh, this has to do, this has to do with the church. And as we hear all of this Jesus talk and, you know, talk of the kingdom, a very natural question that arises is, okay, well, what's this mean for church? Yeah. Um, right? Because this doesn't, this doesn't always reflect the priorities and values of the church. So, Timothy, take it away. All right. Here's our question. It caught my attention in this episode, um, or maybe the previous one. I went back and listened to that one again also that Tim, uh-oh, said he was just angry with the current state of affairs with the church. I am struggling with bitterness and anger at the unreconciled beliefs I have held 
and currently question and the current stands my pastor is taking from the pulpit. I have asked many people what they feel the reason is for church and the definition of a shepherd and what that role looks like. I'm confused, angry, and hurt. My husband and I have leadership titles in the church we attend, but are finding the church to be solely owned and operated by the pastor. In all of this ranting, my questions to you are just those. What is the reason for church and what is the role of the shepherd? I know where bitterness and anger lead. I know I have to gain uh, back some balance. Help, please. Wow. Wow. Um, so first of all, what a wonderful question. Thank you for your honesty. And I think Tim and I would would both agree that many, many, many people feel the same way. Yeah. And so the, you are not alone in this. In fact, there, we got another question just, I think I saw it today, that was along these same lines. Um, asking advice for where do we find you know, a, a good church. And, and, um, and so could you read just the last, what is church and what is, and what is the role of a shepherd? Correct. Those are the two questions. Yeah. What is the reason for church and the what is the role church. of the shepherd? Fantastic. All right. Um, this is really, really good. So God created the world. Um, and the, the, the scene, particularly in Genesis two is of a king, placing images of the king into its temple. Um, Genesis 2, particularly, Genesis 1 is the creation of the world, actually the creation of the promised land through a Sabbath cycle. And that's something we've talked about in previous episodes. Yeah. Genesis 2 is the enthronement of a king in a garden temple, in an ancient Near Eastern garden temple. And, um, and what a king would do is place images of the king's self all over the garden um, that would stand it would be stand-ins for its authority and representation. Viceroys, if you will, carry, who, whose job it was, if they were just statues, to reflect the likeness of the king. Hmm. But if they were priests, it was to advance the agenda of the king. And we get both imagery in uh, in Genesis too. Priestly imagery is all over the place. And so when the humans are created and, and they're to bear the image of God and the first commands they receive are to fill the earth and uh, subdue it, rule over the fish and the birds. And so the, they're given a royal vocation under the, the reign of their king. And their job was to make more image bearers and to extend, because Eden, this garden, didn't cover the whole world. This was just a part of it. Because we, we soon read in Genesis that there are other people in other places. So this is, and, and there are some scholars, and I, I firmly believe this, that, that Eden was the promised land initially. Hmm. And when the, the man and the woman are exiled from the promised land, it, it's several chapters later until Abram gets called to go back not in its Edenic state, but rather to reconstitute what God had originally intended, which was a humanity that lived under his governance, promoting the flourishing of other humans and creation. Right? So they were given a vocation to do this. Now, they, the, our first mother and father, however you understand this, uh, rejected that vocation, created a counter kingdom that was the same as the rest of the kingdoms around them. There was nothing distinct about it. God in grief, um, uncreates the world by allowing the waters to, uh, to overflow at least that portion of the globe and, and carries forward one family, Noah and his sons and their wives. From that family, um, we meet a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Now, God's first attempt at this has not gone well, <laughs> right? He wanted to create cooperative participants in governance and co-governance over the world. And what has happened instead is those co-governors um, usurped the rule that was rightly theirs and gave it to a bits of creation itself so that everything was now turned upside down. God then calls, in response to this evil, God then calls um, a man, Abram, in Genesis chapter 12. And this man, um, he calls 
to be a nation, an ethnic people um, through whom a blessing for the nations will come. Hmm. And as the Old Testament unfolds, we read about how God kept his promise first to this old and fertile couple, um, then through various ridiculous circumstances that God always kept his word. We get, and we get more and more insight into um, where this promised blessing is going to come from, right? At the end of Genesis, it's through the tribe of Judah. In Samuel, it's from the line of David. Um, Israel gets formed into an ethnic nation with geopolitical boundaries. Um, and they're, they're given the Torah in order to demonstrate to the world the goodness of living under God's rule, right? The, the man and the woman were to live under God's rule for the sake of the nations. Um, Israel was created to live under God's rule for the sake of the nations as well. As we know, they were about as successful as Adam and Eve. Right Over the long course of generations, they reject God as their king. They end up, generations later, in exile, scattered throughout the nations. Right, Cast out, again, exiled, if you will, just like Adam and Eve were from the land. Yeah. Oh, and the mighty cry of the prophets and the poets during that time was that there will come a time when God will take his world back. He will come, he will install Israel at the head of the nations, and he will be the he will now he will now bring about the kingship that was rejected by Adam and Eve and rejected by Israel. He will and, and he will do this in a different way. He will do this through his spirit. Mm. And so Jesus Messiah shows up, and the first thing he says is the kingdom of God has come. The second thing he does is he begins to gather a community. So notice, in all three steps, kingdom has to do with a king forming a people. So Genesis 1 and 2, God creates human beings. In uh, Genesis 12, God calls a man to form a community. And then it's not shocking when Jesus shows up, right? The first thing he does in announcing the kingdom is he gathers a tribe around him. All right. The goal was always a collection of people called out of human history in the kingdoms of the world who would live under the reign of Yahweh and his son, Yahshua, demonstrating to the world the blessings that were God's in order to woo the nations back to himself. So what's the church? The church is just that pattern repeated now for us. The church, according to Paul, it's the confounding wisdom of God against the powers and principalities because it consists of people who have no ethnic tie together, unlike Israel, or economic tie together, like the upper crust of Roman society, or or moral tie together, but rather consists of a, a people baptized into a new creation humanity where all of the other ways of distinguishing and dividing people are now rendered obsolete, and that in Christ is the only designation that matters, and that these people were to constitute a political entity, the kingdom, in local communities called the church, that would be local expressions of the ultimate triumph and work of God through his Son, accomplished by the Spirit in willing partnership with human persons. So that the church isn't a service; it's not a singing, uh, not a singing teaching event. The church is the identity of the people. You can no more follow Christ and not be part of a church than you could uh, be born and not have parents. Right? You just you are by definition as a Christian a part of church. Yeah. Now. The confusion become the confusion comes when we mistake the local gathering of the church for the kingdom. The kingdom is not contained by the church. <laughs> the church very very often feels more like a political party. It's got its own agenda. It it's, exists for its own self preservation. Um, it often is a platform for celebrity leaders. Um, and so there's much to be disappointed in, in um, 
uh, how the church bears witness to the kingdom. And that's done very poorly, and your frustration is warranted. But there are people and there are places that bear witness to the kingdom rightly, or at least more faithfully. No one does it perfectly. Only Jesus does that. So when we're talking about a church, we're talking about finding a community of people who, at least in varying degrees, have all agreed to submit themselves to the reign of Christ as it pertains to the reordering of their real lives. And at that point, realize that they can only work that out in community with each other. And so that that can look in a thousand of a thousand different institutional and organizational ways. Right? The idea of a of a, a an event Sunday that's sermon centric in one person and that's not a biblical idea. That's an American idea that, you know, God can use because he can use everything. But you know, I don't know if you draw it up and that's the that's the that's the place Jesus would start if he was founding a church. Um, it just didn't look a lot like ours. So, on the one hand, and this is straight from Tim Gombas. On the one hand, we have to have very the ability to critically think. Mm-hmm. We have to, and and because I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not being a jerk. Um, I, I'm I'm critical of my tribe. Because for the same reason I'm critical of me, right? I have hope for it. Yes. I I want it to be better. And so, yes, I mean, we've talked about the dangers of sermon-centric church, and we've talked about the dangers of of churches that rely um, on, um, who pay people vocationally instead of relying on bivocational pastors. And that doesn't, right? All of that's true. All of that's true. But I don't, and we don't, engage in those conversations um uh we want to we want to do that having a critical heart excuse me i totally messed up the punchline we want to have a critical (laughs) mind without having a critical heart that's the idea that's from gombas and so um and so what is the church the church is the most important social entity in the world that's just now how how well that gets embodied is so variable it's ridiculous yeah but does it matter and is your disappointment warranted yes and yes for sure what's a shepherd well somebody who takes the sermon on the mount seriously yeah and invites people to do the same now shepherds don't necessarily have to be pastors nor pastor shepherds Right, that's a that's a metaphor and a picture that very clearly um, had nuance uh, in those cultures that you know we miss today. Shepherding wasn't just be nice. You you led, you protected. Like you know, there was there was stuff attached to that. But when I look at the health of a church, um, I'm I'm looking at does it prioritize and bear witness to the kingdom. In other words, does it see itself as a means to some other end than its own self-preservation? Because if and, and every church will say, oh yeah, we just want to point to Christ. But they don't spend money like that, and they don't live like that, and they don't talk like that. You know, anybody who says it's all about Jesus, who has to say that, means they're not all about Jesus. You know what I mean? If, if you have yeah. to announce that at your events, then... <laughs> I'm sorry you're in trouble, right? Because the best the best stuff that's all about Jesus is stuff you'll hardly ever notice. Yeah. It's so behind the radar. It's so mustard seed. It's, so, it's like yeast that just infects slowly through the whole batch of dough, right? The smallest seed that slowly grows into a shrub. It covers the whole backyard. So I don't know if I'm answering the question, I'm just riffing on why I think the church is so credibly important. And um, I want to riff on um, I want to riff on the fact that on the one hand, we want to be wide awake to the abuses of power. I, so so just things off the top of my head. how what's the church's view on women? Um, if they treat women well, um, 
do, does the church um, does the church uh, show weakness? Uh, or does everything have to be beautiful, skinny jeaned and perfect? <laughs> do um, do or are the leaders um, a collaborative or is it just one person? Um, when you talk about you have titles, but it's really it's it's senior pastor Inc. Well, flee. That's not I've done that. I'm guilty of that. And that is not right. the New Testament model at all. Um, what are you thinking, Tim? You're giving me lots of different facial expressions. No, I'm I'm running with it. I wrote down words as you were going. Even from the beginning of all this, you, you were talking, when you were summing up the, uh, this whole first section of the Sermon on the Mount, you talked about the people being seen as trustworthy. Mm. And I think that that's a really profound idea because so much of what Jesus just walked through is creating, was living and operating through a, through a way in which you do, you don't, you don't speak, you don't preach trustworthiness. You like, you exude it through yes. just like this very active living in this stuff. So, and then the, the own and operated, I, I, I'm, you know, the church thing has been a very conflicting thing for a while. And Gombas does, he has a podcast episode that I think we've talked about. I can't remember if it was on here. It may have been on here if it was on his own podcast. Um, about like being a lifer in a church. Like right. That's when you're his. in there, you're in there. And um, you're putting 20, 30 years in with people. And so I, I, that's, that's where my real struggle has been lately. Because I am so turned off by Christian rhetoric mm-hmm. and Christian routine. So just the whole performance, and I see this so much in the Sermon on the Mount, where it's just like it's not, you know, you've heard it said, or, and I feel like he's almost saying like you've heard it done, or yeah. you've seen it done yes. this way. Yes. And I'm saying, no, we're gonna. this is how you should be doing it, or embodying this, or living this. And I don't feel like I always see that. And then so my, my inclination is often to just stop. Yes. Like I'm turned off. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Yeah. And then you hear Gombas, which is very conflicting of, you are not not conflicting, convicting. Yeah, well, both. Uh, it's also conflicting. <laughs> <laughs> of like, you got to be in there, and you've got to. You're living that, and if you know, it's just. But I, why? But so. his, but 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 why? See, the point is that you can only be shaped in a cross Jesusy kind of way right. in a community like that. Yeah. Where? Well, how long? How long do you buckle in there to make to help that community become that community? Well, how long do you invest in yourself for that? Forever. I mean, I'm not saying you, I'm just saying, I'm saying, okay, what am I saying? First, in this season of my life, seeing, seeing so clearly how, how many shortcomings, how many character faults, like, oh, I mean, I, and, and, and the more work I do, the more work I, I see I have to do. The more I just sit and I go, I'm I'm way less, I don't know, I'm way less critical of other people who aren't where I'm at yet. Um, and then we'll get to that in the sermon, right? I mean, right. the the hardest part is to love people you think are behind you. Mm. And um, and so oh, so many learnings there. Um, I'm not saying you hang in always. No, not at all. There are clear instances in the Bible and just you know scattered all over America where um, you should leave. But it's kind of like the divorce conversation, right? Just because there's permission to leave doesn't alleviate the importance of the thing, right? And um, and I I am very much someone who needs to walk in repentance towards my attitudes towards the church. Um, I was, I've been deeply hurt in some instances. I've deeply hurt others in other instances. And, um, you know, I just want to shake, I want to shake my hands and, uh, and the dust off my feet at all of it. Yeah. And I'm with you. I just don't think we can. And, and that's why we still agitate on this dumb podcast, you know? (laughs) Well, I think we're also, um, you know, there's a big question as to why millennials or um, what's behind millennials, Gen 
Z. Let's see, millennials, Gen Gen Z, and then and then it's then it's something else. I don't remember. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, there's a, always a big question as to why they're not going to church. Why why are we not attracting this demographic? Why do these people? And I think it's really interesting because I've had conversations with a few people now about that, and often the consistent theme has been we are not interested in the performance. Yeah. Like we go to Coachella, we go to <laughs> uh, whatever, we see the best version of lights and performance yeah. and that feeling. We want authenticity. We want to. We want to be a part of something that is transparent, and and I and so you keep hearing that, and it's like a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, the current church model is still based on this routine of and this performance, and you see this younger generation coming up. It's like we don't. We're not interested in that. Yeah. And they're also not big, um, like, I'm, I'm going to give you tons and tons of money for the church to operate. They're not as big of investors, so that's going to change the model mm-hmm. as well. So it's a really interesting, I feel like the tides are shifting and that there is a big movement coming that is not a movement, but there's a there is a change coming, whether the church is ready for that or not. Yes. Uh, is a different conversation. Yep. Which... Leads me into a bit of personal news. Yes. Um, <laughs> this was not. <laughs> this was not all mystically set up, by the way. Um, but I think it's a really good conversation because the, I think this might strike some people as a little jarring. Um, le- a bit of backstory. Um, moved to Ohio uh, over three years ago, and I did it for some reasons that I thought were true and compelling. And I've since learned that I did it for other reasons. Hmm. And um, that's a whole different, whole different story. Um, It has been a very uh, dis deconstructing and dismantling kind of process Um, in, in so many ways. Um, And it's been it's been the roughest for my wife and I just the roughest three years together not just yeah. with each other but just in life and by global standards we're doing great but just in terms of like character work and things that were exposed oh my goodness um many of you are familiar with the story of last fall or late last fall and um, through the year. And I'm not going to tell that again. It's in other episodes. Um, but it, it, I have been doing a great deal of um, personal work with Jesus in therapy, with a spiritual director, with friends, family. Um, the biblical word for all of this work is just repentance. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a bad word. It's just a, it's a it's a turning it's a reconsidering and the grace that comes is the grace that that I've been able to see things that have been true of me for a long time that I've never been able to see and um and as I begin to unnumb and begin to heal I began to pray um and talk with these friends and advisors, what's what's the healthiest way of living um, for me? Um, and we all agreed working from home as a full-time podcaster is not the <laughs> healthiest way for me to be living. Um, I'm too social of a creature and um, it just opens the door for things that just don't need to be open. And so um, we began to pray about, okay, well, what's what's the job going to look like? Is it, um, you know, I applied to the post office, um, city government uh, as a, as a uh, maintenance worker. Um, I applied to, uh, I applied to just some other churches just to have income and all of those I got, I got turned down for. Um, but John Mark Comer, who is a friend of our show, pastor in Portland, he um he had this line one day um that opened up a, a way of thinking that um I wasn't 
I wasn't really considering. And he's, I don't know who he's quoting, but he's like, retreating away from your wounding will never heal it. Hmm. You always have to, healing means moving toward, back toward the thing that broke us with new people in a new way. And, um, and we really sat in that for a long time. And um, from that came the beginnings of what I thought was an insane desire to work for a church again. Um, and in spite of all that I believe about it, in spite of all the criticisms that I believe about it, I still, I still have hope. And I yeah. don't want, um, I don't want to just sit on the sideline and pontificate into a microphone in my house yeah. without a greater degree of investment and hard work. Um, but there were there were several issues that immediately, um, you know, raised. One was, dude, you're just dealing with some of the heaviest stuff ever. Um, you know, pretty massive character failures and flaws. And do you really need a platform? Um, and should you have one? Um, secondly, what kind of church would you even, you know, does the kind of church I would want to be a part of exist? Um, and, and then the third one is, would that kind of church be interested in someone like me? Who's at the Hmm. very beginning of a healing journey? Right. And um, so those were fairly, <laughs> fairly <Some big>. significant, <laughs> significant things. And um, where all of this is going, well, one more, one more step. So um, we thought, okay, and this is again combination of therapy, friends, advisors, spiritual director. Um, if we were to ever work for a church, here's what the here's what kind of church it would have to be. And here's what kind of role it would have to be. Not a senior pastor role, not an elder role, not a public leader role. Um, uh, we didn't want it to be a, a humongous megachurch. Um, I, I think that would be too triggering in some ways. Uh, we wanted it to be a church that was very much open to therapy and mental health issues. Mm. And we wanted it to be a church that had a high view of women and women in leadership. Um, you know, and uh, and gave a great deal of permission for people to doubt and wonder and question and be in process. Be human. Yes. So that that's a fairly that all of that wrapped up is a fairly narrow thing. Yeah. And so I didn't tell anybody of this. I literally just prayed and I said, "Okay, Lord, if that's if that's a thing, okay. If not, I'll be glad to work for UPS. I get to wear shorts all year. We're fine. I look great in brown." <laughs> And um, and a couple of weeks after that, I get a call from a friend who I worked with at uh, in Mariner's Church, a church in Nashville um, that meets. I would never have known of this, um, and out of the blue, uh, was looking for a teaching pastor who was not going to be a senior pastor or an elder. Um, a, ch- a church that isn't humongous. Um, a church that has a high view of women and, and meets all the criteria, and a church that was willing to know my story and all of its ugliness and still want to be a community where um, my family and I can work towards health. And um, uh, I never thought I'd say this again, but <laughs> I am, I've accepted a job at a church. And um, we're going to do the podcast. The church is super supportive of the podcast. Like they think it's a necessary thing, which is amazing and gracious of them, you know? Yeah. Um, but what a unique and compelling group of people this has turned out to be. Yeah. And, um, and the fact, I mean, the fact that they're willing to know the story and to say, yep, well, let's, let's put all of this in place and then let's walk together, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, and, and I just get to be a teacher, which is what I love to do, you know? Yes. So yeah. the podcast is still going to be going strong. Nothing's going to change with that. Not a thing's going to change with that. 
um, I, we still see that as a super important, vibrant part of human life. Yeah. Um, my family, I'm going to commute to Nashville um, three or four times a month. Um, six hour drive, which is not bad at all. And, um, and then if we're still all good, we'll move down at the end of the school year after Nate, my oldest son graduates from high school. I feel weird saying all of this. I don't know why (laughs) it just does. I never thought I'd talk like this. I never thought I'd do this again. I really had given it up and, um, you know, and it was, it was, and, you know, and as I'm talking to my therapist, I mean, I know not everyone cares, but my therapist was like, look, until the trauma piece has been healed, any job can be a place where you perform and hide. Yeah. Right. So just, For so sure. it was, it was like, even if you think going to UPS is going to solve all your problems, that's, a, that's not true. That's not true. Um, and they kept saying the danger, she kept saying the danger of a different job would be that I wouldn't have the same crew around me. You know, I wouldn't have people who knew or cared about this yeah. part of life. And um, <laughs> it's like, where do you practice? Where do you practice humility? Is it the false humility of, well, I just have to stop. I mean, it was just all this humongous and deep stuff. And I want to try to justify it for people. But um, this has been the most deliberate, thoughtful, prayerful decision-making process I've ever been a part of. The healthiest, um, you know, that you, Bonnie, Kevin, Joanna, which is our Vox team, um, John Mark, who's spiritual director, Tina, who's my therapist, my family. I mean, this is all like, so I'm taking my talents to Nashville. That's that's what I'm doing, <laughs> to quote LeBron. Taking my talents in Nashville. Yep. So anyway, we didn't know how best to say that, but that's what we thought. Tim, do you have yeah. any comments or from your perspective as you've observed all of this? What, what do no, you think? I think you I think you summed it up really good. I, I I I see the it's easy it's easy for me to trust the process having watched it and knowing that um, this isn't necessarily what you wanted to do. And in some ways you were scared of ever doing this again. So I think that the fact that the road kind of led back to this in the way that it did feels trustworthy. It also feels really trustworthy. Um, what were we? What, I don't remember what episode it was talking about. Um, was it Jacob? Never, don't ever trust anyone that doesn't walk with a limp. Yes. And I see that in this process too, where, <clears throat> and maybe that's part of the things that I am struggling with with church and the performative nature of it is that um, the openness of the um, just the blemishes and the struggle yeah. and yeah and that kind of stuff is doesn't seem to necessarily always be a part of church no and it's such a part of everything that jesus is doing in everything so yeah. it's like i don't know if this feels healthy and it feels good and it feels right uh it feels like it feels like you turned around and repostured yourself and then god said this that's what i wanted and then came alongside of it i don't know I hope so. I've done some reckless crap. And so I, I'm, I, I fear, you know, being judged that way again, but I would certainly deserve that. But this isn't, it feels a lot, I don't know. It feels, it feels different. different. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you think so. I mean, I really, your opinion and I mean, this whole, this whole team thing has been really, Brenda, Brenda has been a part of this. Yes. Our friend Brenda. Okay. So yes, it's been a big, it's been a big deal. Um, but yeah, I, we won't, I'm not going to talk a lot about it. Um, we still, we're still going to do the Vox thing. And, and so for me, that whole, like having a critical mind without a critical spirit, this is where I want to practice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause and it's I, important I, too, to tell everybody here because everybody that listens to this podcast has walked, we intentionally walked this road publicly yes. and openly and honestly. So, yes. um, Yes. We're not here just telling our news because we think you'd be interested in every decision that we make in our lives. <laughs> we got Arlo. <laughs> They're interested in that. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it was interesting. So I wrote a I wrote a, a long mushy email to to my friends, the these people I've named. Um, as I was driving down to Nashville to interview. Uh because Nashville's where I went in January. Um 
I went on a six and a half day, I don't know, um, the group therapy thing. That was the most intense thing I've ever been a part of. And I remember driving down to Tennessee and um, thinking uh, and just being so fearful and, and anxious. And then I remember thinking, driving down again, going, um, you know, being fearful and anxious, but being grateful for uh, the opportunity that that a group of people who would know. And we've been I mean, we've been ruthlessly honest would know all of that and still, you know, that, that Nashville became this place like of healing and restoration. And I don't know. So anyway, it's a big, it feels like a big deal to us. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think it represents a commitment. We started with Vox. I mean, it's the reason we started a church out of Vox to begin with. We just, we want to be a part of the solution while admitting that we're part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, there you have it. Sports fans. Um, that's a lot, man. That is a lot to cover in an episode. Dang. <laughs> so blessings to you all friends. Uh, seriously. Thank you. Uh, Tim, any last words? Nope. <laughs> we've got next episode. We've got a great interview. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, we'll pick up the sermon on the Mount after that. So until next time, friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our community. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash voxpodcast, on Instagram at voxpodcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.